How are you? How was Thanksgiving? Did you get your turkey? Did you get your full of turkey? Anybody want some more? Anybody have some more? You still got turkey in the fridge? You've been having turkey sandwiches for every day, lunch and dinner ever since. Um, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. We, we, thanks to Facebook, right, we get to see uh, lots of people's Thanksgivings, and it looks like we had a good time. But how, how are you doing in, in preparation now that Thanksgiving is over, right? You can't, apparently, in America, we can't prepare for Christmas until Thanksgiving is passed, uh, according to uh, Facebook popularity. You want to know how true that is? Try putting up your tree and posting that you put your tree up before Thanksgiving and find out how many friends you lose. <laughs> Uh, it's pretty. It's pretty incredible. We asked that question: How uh, are, are you ready for Christmas? How are you doing? Are you are you prepped? Are you ready? Are you ready for Christmas? And when we ask that question, there's often uh, a lot of undertones that go with that, according to uh, our own personal bias or our own desire. Again, uh, when when I say, "Are you ready for Christmas?" I might really mean, "Do you have your tree up?" Right. Uh, that might be what I mean by, are you ready for Christmas? And everyone has a difference of opinion. Uh, again, uh, don't throw me under the bus because we've had our tree up for almost two weeks. We love our tree. It looks beautiful. And we went through a lot to get that tree up, and I won't go into that. <laughs> Stupid tree. <laughs> When we ask, are you ready for Christmas, it might mean you have your outside decorations up, right? Uh, many of you have a tradition of putting lights on your house in some uh, form or fashion, and, and you, have, you have your whole process uh, ready to, to go every year, and you're prepared to do that. The other night, I was driving down uh, our road, Village Road, and uh, our neighbors were putting up their Christmas lights, and I felt in my heart, I got to stop and just tell them how exciting uh, it is to see their light display, and so I pulled over and told them, it's a looking awesome, you guys. And they, we had a good uh, conversation there. When we ask, are you ready for Christmas? We might mean, uh, do you have your shopping done? Have, have you wrapped all your gifts? If you have wrapped all of your gifts on, uh, I mean, I don't know if you guys wrap your gifts. I'm looking out. Uh, there's some kids. Uh, we wrap some of our gifts. Uh, if you've wrapped any gifts by now on December the 1st, anybody, anybody have any, any gifts wrapped? Oh, 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 that's not right. Wait, you have you have gifts wrapped? We do. The TV that you're getting me. That's coming later. That I I gotta work that in in just a moment. Uh, when we ask if you're ready for Christmas, we might mean, do you have your travel plans locked in? Do you know exactly uh, when you're leaving town to go visit grandparents? Do you have your plans to join us at 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve for our Christmas Eve service? We ask that question, are you ready for Christmas? And it might look different to every family. It might be a different form of readiness for every family according to your schedule, your tradition. And getting ready for Christmas, as I'm sure you would agree, is far more than preparing our homes with lights and the tastes and smells, far more than uh, making sure that we get that special Lego set we're hoping to give to our 10-year-old. It, it means far more than hoping that you've talked your wife into that 55-inch TV to get you for Christmas. Let me be the first, maybe, in the season to remind you, as cliche as it seems to have become, that Jesus is the reason for this season. It's not about the eggnog. It's not about the gifts. It's not about the twinkle lights or the icicle lights that are going to be on display here in just a couple of days. 
It's not about a specific temperature or a certain kind of weather or not certain kind of weather. It's not about a specific food or a smell of the season. It is the reason we gather, the reason we celebrate, the reason Christmas is, is because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and dwelt among men, born of a virgin. The miracle of Christmas is as miraculous today as it was when it happened those 2,000 plus years ago. Over the next couple of Sundays and up and through Christmas Eve, I want us to uh, jump into a season together, talking uh, a sermon series season, talking together about the preparations, the the readiness we have uh, to be in spiritual terms as we approach Christmas. I want to be reminded together to prepare our hearts and truly be ready for Christmas. And specifically as we uh, are, are about to uh, join together in, in the beauty of communion, I want to specifically today to talk about the, uh, being ready for the miracle, being ready for the miraculous that involves Christmas. Personally, in my uh, Bible in a Year plan, I am currently reading through uh, the Gospel of Luke again. And how fitting the Gospel of Luke is around this season as it tells the story of Jesus' birth. And uh, here this morning, we're going to read together. I want to read to you uh, from the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. And it's a lengthy passage that uh, tells the story of uh, John the Baptist, a cousin of Jesus. And his preparing of the way for Jesus was foretold. And as we find out in this story, his birth is told uh, before it happens. A prophecy of his birth given to his father, Zacharias. He is in the temple worshiping and leading. Luke chapter 1, you can follow along on the screen. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, or you can follow along in the Bible app. We invite you to do that every week. We provide for you uh, the scripture. You can search for the church in your Bible app and follow along with the event for today. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Listen to God's word. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Verse 8. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah says to the angel, How can I be sure that this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. 
And the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you don't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. And when he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. Verse 25, how kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has given, or has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Allow me to pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. And I pray, Lord, as we go through these verses and this account together here this morning, I pray that you would speak to us and remind us of the miraculous Show us your way, your will for our lives today. Convict our hearts, and may we leave this place changed, transformed because of your grace. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I love this story of Zechariah, the temple priest, and the involvement he is having in this act of worship in the temple, and he is met by the angel Gabriel. The whole story is absolutely fascinating, and we uh, get this account here in Scripture as a reminder to us of God at work in humanity. There's some promises that Zechariah is given by the angel Gabriel that are important in the life. This message from the Lord to this person, this temple priest, Zechariah, about the birth of a son he didn't think was possible to happen. Look at the promises from uh, Gabriel to Zechariah. In verses 13 to 17, we see them broken down uh, this way. Uh, First of all, Zechariah's prayers are going to be answered. The angel says, your prayers, God has heard them. Your wife will give you a son. What a promise fulfilled to Zechariah. What a promise from God in this moment. And even the angel says you're to name him John. And it's lost in our translation as we read it in the English. We think, oh, that's a very nice name. The true story is that the, the name John literally means the Lord is gracious. And what God is doing, what God is revealing in these moments to Zechariah is the grace of the Lord. An undeserved gift is being given to this family. The angel continues on, great joy and gladness you will have. Many will rejoice at this birth. It's as if the angel is saying, Zechariah, you and your people are going to experience a level of joy and gladness that you haven't. And he goes on, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Gabriel saying, Zechariah, your son is great in the eyes of the Lord. He will do great things for the Lord. Many Israelites will turn to the Lord, their God. Again, the promise continues. Your people, Zechariah, your people are going to turn their hearts to the Lord. Your people, the Israelites, are going to experience revival through the ministry of your son, John. The angel continues, your son will have great power, spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Zechariah, your son will help prepare the way for the Messiah, the Savior 
of mankind. Uh, imagine again this story unfolding and Zechariah uh, going through the motions of being a temple priest, being chosen uh, by Lot to serve in this specific uh, role on this day. And an angel of the Lord appearing to him in the holy sanctuary of the temple. Such powerful earth-shattering promises delivered through this angelic messenger, Gabriel. I don't know about you, but uh, when we were expecting our children to be born. We saw uh, doctors and nurses and, and ultrasound technicians and uh, as far as I'm aware, I never saw an angelic messenger give me any messages about uh, our children. Uh, the only thing I can remember is that ultrasound techs were like, oh, he's going to be a big boy. That's what I remember being foretold about my children or I think that's a foot or oh yeah, uh, she's moving a lot. Those wonderful stories of remembrance no angelic messengers, so it's hard for us maybe to relate. But part of this story that's hard for me to stomach, it rattles me a little bit, is the way Zechariah responds to the angel Gabriel's promises. I mean, even if Zechariah had to take a moment, Scripture says he was, he was blown away, he was in, in shock, he was, he was overwhelmed in this moment. He was afraid. And even if he had to take a moment to uh, uh, gather himself after this approached angel comes into his presence, even if he had to say, whoa, 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 what is going on here for a moment? His response, immediately following that shock and awe, immediately following this promise from the Lord is, how can I be sure? How can I know that what you're telling me is true? Do you know how old I am? He goes on. <laughs> He goes on very dangerously and says, do you know how old my wife is? We know not to do that. He's saying in so many words, give me more proof. I, I'm having trouble believing. I, I love wondering. <laughs> reading between the lines in this storyline, wondering in this moment, the angel Gabriel, remember angels are, are, are not just naked little babies with wings, right? That they are maybe in our cultural references. This is, this is God's messenger. This is a warrior on God's team of light. And he's standing there delivering this message. His job, his role in the moment is to deliver this message from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. God Almighty has asked Gabriel to dispatch this message, his message, to this man. And I love wondering, in this moment, as he delivers this message, as eloquent as Gabriel has to do in this moment, and Zechariah goes, uh, Are you sure? I have to wonder. I don't know if I'm allowed to wonder this, but join me in wondering. Does Gabriel go, uh, God, permission to destroy this man? Uh, God, this guy, he can't be the one we're going to use. Uh, this cannot be his family because this guy's an idiot. He's questioning me, and I'm glowing, and I'm here, and I just delivered your... And I don't know, but I like wondering the answer to that is if God says, hey, 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 no, 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 don't destroy him, but I'll let you make him mute for the next few months. I'll let you make him unable to speak to show my power and my glory. If we're honest, this attitude of Zechariah is much more common maybe than we'd like to admit in our own lives. This attitude of hearing a word from the Lord, of being promised God in the flesh, 
of being promised this uh, blessing that we have from God, the miraculous in our midst, our, our, our coming Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, we have our questions. We have our, okay, God, I hear what you're saying, but I need some more proof. We're, we're like Thomas in a lot of the ways. Thomas, one of the 12 disciples who after Jesus is resurrected, he's hearing the stories from his peers and he, he is questioning in his own heart, in his own life, he's saying, I don't know. I don't know if I can believe it without seeing with my own eyes, Scripture says, or touching his wounds with my own fingers. It's like you and me, maybe. When we pray for a miracle, we pray maybe for a, a sign from God in the next breath, in, in the very next moment. Maybe God has come through in a, in a way that we didn't hope for, we didn't want him to. And so we complain about the sign or the gift. We pray for something different, a different outcome. When God answers our prayer in a way uh, that we don't want, oftentimes we ask for something different. The truth that we need to come to again this morning, as we talked about last week, is that God is at work in our midst. As we're reminded again and again, God invites us to join Him on mission. He is actively involving His presence into humanity. Each and every day, the King of kings and Lord of lords is actively presenting His love, His grace, His peace, His mercy to the world around us. The truth that the Creator seeks to be present in this broken humanity the fact that God, perfect, holy, just, righteous, in all of his mercy and grace, chooses still to not destroy us all is miraculous in and of itself. So this morning, as we ask the question, are you ready for Christmas? Ready for Christmas? I, I want us to choose to be ready for the miraculous. Ready for the miracle of God among us. As we celebrate Advent season, one of the things that we are continuing to have a conversation about by celebrating these four weeks through Christmas is the reminder of God with us. Advent, we, we celebrate that God sent His Son Jesus, His presence in the flesh of man dwelt among us. We celebrate that in the Advent season. We are also celebrating and be reminded of that miracle and the miracle that Jesus is returning, that he's coming back to take us with him to eternity in heaven. So this morning, again, the challenge is as we ask whether we're ready for Christmas is are we ready for the miraculous? Let's look at three ways that we are to live our lives as followers of Christ, ready for the miraculous. The first is this. Live life on call for God. Live life on call for God. You remember life before cell phones? Anybody want to go back? Wow. Almost all of first service raised their hand. No, they didn't. Uh, you remember life before cell phones, before we were on call all the time? You remember the technology just before cell phones that involved a little box with a battery that you wore on your, your pant pocket? 
and it had a little number readout, or if you were really fancy, you could actually get messages to it. Remember beepers and pagers? Uh, when we were, I, I was a kid, and we moved to South Carolina my, uh, after my freshman year. So I was a sophomore in high school, and my dad uh, got a, a, a pager as a part of being that lead pastor of that church in South Carolina. It was kind of cool technology. Uh, we didn't really know how it worked. We'd never seen anything like that, but he was pretty excited about having it and being on call, and people could call him. And I've told you, uh, I've, I've said this story in different contexts before, but one day we were driving to school as a family, and uh, as, as kids, my dad was driving us to school, and he just starts shouting and starts slapping himself on the hip. He's yelling about a bee in the car and it's stinging him. It turns out it was just my mom paging him in that moment. There was no bee. He had no experience previous to having a beeper on his hip. That technology was great because it allowed us before cell phones to be in contact with someone pretty quickly. Uh, My mom could page dad and say, hey, while you're out, pick something up from the store. She could beep him and tell him to call back and he would stop and call from someplace and find out what was going on. It made him available to other people. We are available to other people today because of cell phones, right? Uh, In fact, if we don't respond to someone's text, what do we usually think about that person? They've fallen and they can't get up, right? So we go to their house and we try to help them. We are instantaneously on call because of our technology today. Similarly, in our lives, our spiritual lives, we have to have the same understanding about how God chooses to be in our lives. Interestingly about the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is that they are living on call for God in a season where there were no experiences that way. We we talk about the intertestament time between the Old Testament when uh, the Old Testament ended being written and the New Testament began. We we talk about this years of silence, about 400 years between the Testaments. And that's where Zechariah and Elizabeth are living in this season of silence. No uh, prophecies, no prophets recorded saying things, uh, no angelic messengers being testified about visiting humankind. No scriptures being written, no letters between churches and people. They're living in this time between the testaments of silence, and yet there are these two plugging along, being faithful to live life on call to the one true God, Yahweh. Verse 6 says it this way, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations, faithful Faithful in their prayers, faithful in their worship, uh, faithful in their service to the temple. Even in the silence, even in the moments of uh, they are living, waiting expectantly, waiting for their beeper to go off, waiting for God to say, hey, now it's time. I want to use you. They're living their life on call for the service of God. And you and I are invited to do the same. We are invited each and every day to be on call for the Lord, to be uh, in waiting for God to say, right here, right now, this is where I need you to be my hands and feet. And he chooses to do that in unexpected ways. In our instant gratification culture, being ready or staying ready doesn't come easily. We lose interest very quickly in our culture. And yet God asks us, even in 2019, to stay ready for him, to not be distracted by the things, to live for him first. Asking him to lead our lives and our challenge is before us uh, right now around this season to be generous, to ask God. We invited you last week to listen for God, to ask you as an individual, you as a family, to be generous in a way that he will reveal. 
And it's been fun. It's been fun already, even in this past week, to hear a little bit of some stories about how God is inspiring through His Holy Spirit our people to be generous. So the challenge in our lives as we live life on call is to be on call. Live accepting, expecting God to speak, to be at at the ready, to be used when He asks, to be on guard, to be prepared, to be actively listening for an opportunity to be used by Him for His kingdom purposes. Again, God is at work and he chooses, he chooses to use the likes of us to be on mission with him. Secondly, live our life on call and keep on keeping on. The story of Zechariah and Elizabeth being faithful in the silence to keep on keeping on. Uh, Zechariah is trained in the ways of being a temple priest. He's a, a part of a, a core group of people, maybe 830 in his class, who have been trained to do what he's going to do. And he was chosen uh, by lot in this moment to be the incense burner, to be in the temple at this time. And he is choosing to keep on keeping on, to do the duties of a temple priest. Temple priest. And nothing in his life could have prepared him for what he was going to do. But he was faithful to keep on keeping on. And I love how the angel responds to Zechariah when Zechariah's first moment of interaction happens. Don't be afraid. God has heard your faithful prayer. Your continual prayer. This persistence attitude, this keeping on, keeping on is not very popular in our world, we've had this conversation many times, but all of us are prone to distraction, prone to losing interest. Maybe it's just me to the nth degree, but there seems to be some way that we are pre-wired to lose interest after a certain amount of time. I don't know if you're guilty of this, but uh, there were times, there have been times in my life, believe it or not, uh, when we had cable television that we would be watching a show or I would be watching a show and change it at a commercial break. You know what you do during a commercial, right? If you've got to watch commercials, you've got to change it to something else. And there will be times, I remember this, when I would forget what show I was initially watching because I was that distracted by all the other channel options. Anybody else experience that? You changed the channel and you totally forgot what you were watching in the first place. I love it. That's how prone to distraction we are. We're prone to uh, being drawn off course. This reminder to keep on keeping on is all about refusing to let our purposes become just mundane, just uh, something that we do to do them. The truth again is that Zechariah is taught to do what he does. And he could have been just going through the motions in this moment where God shows up. Likewise, we may be guilty more often than we, than we want to admit of going through the motions of attending because we're supposed to attend, of serving because we've been asked a hundred times, of standing when we're supposed to stand, of singing when we're supposed to sing and not when we're not, all the while possibly oblivious to the fact that God is interacting with us, that God is choosing to move in our midst, that God is choosing to speak. Again, I admit to you, I have not, that I know of, been approached by an angelic messenger. I've not seen any glowing angels who claim to be Gabriel in my life. But I stand before you as one who knows that I've experienced the mighty voice of God in my life in earth-shattering ways, in the seemingly 
mundane, the seemingly business-as-usual moments of life, in those daily times that I spend in Scripture, of hearing again the voice of the Lord through His Word into my life that strikes new understanding. Maybe it's during that fourth time of singing through the same chorus that God chooses to speak into my life. I've experienced it. Maybe on a normal Sunday. Maybe even on a Sunday where people chose to stay home because of the potential of weather. This reality of keeping on, keeping on. This reminder makes me want to choose to be ready for the miraculous. To take one step at a time each and every day of saying, God, Today, again, I'm yours. All of me, everything, would you speak? The third reminder of how we can live ready for the miraculous. And again, maybe here's where we start to wish or hope that we're different than Zechariah, is to agree that God's word is enough. Again, in the story, Zechariah receives from Gabriel these mountain-moving promises. These impossible promises from God to humanity about his son, who, in Zechariah's mind, this can't even possibly take place. He hears these messages from the Lord, these promises of what God is going to do through his yet-to-be-born son. And his response in verse 18, how can I be sure this will happen. How can I be sure this will happen? How can I be sure? Well, show me a sign. Give me some proof. And maybe we shake our heads. Maybe we cross our arms and we wonder, how could you do that? An angel of the Lord is standing in your presence. Whatever he says goes. And yet the tradition continues. Just a couple chapters later, Jesus himself in his ministry in Luke chapter 11 is interacting with large crowds as they're gathering, including uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, teachers of the law. Those who know better are continuing to ask for a, a sign of the things to come. And Jesus rebukes them in those moments. He speaks against the generation's desire for more signs, uh, acknowledging that the problem isn't that they're seeking to know God more accurately. They're not seeking to ask God's will or ask what God wants to do through them more accurately by asking for a, a sign. They're demanding a sign because they want something in addition to God's very own word. And that's what's happening right here with Zechariah. He's, he's saying, okay, uh, this might be what God's saying, but I, I need to be completely sure before I take action. He, he hears the, the word of the Lord, and he demands even more. So too do we, often. Maybe we hear and begin to understand what God's asking of us, what he's telling to me, in his still small voice. So we, we sense in our spirit how we're being convicted and being called to live a life different than the normal way of life around me. And yet we fall into the same trap of not going all in, maybe not believing, maybe second guessing, maybe asking for a second opinion, maybe not believing or taking action until we get some more confirmation. We, we want more evidence. We need one more sign. We need one more. I don't know if that was really God telling me that. So God, would you just tell me in a different way? And oftentimes we find ourselves in a never-ending cycle of 
asking of God to do what God only can do. And when God begins to move, we say, oh, I don't know if I like it that way. God, uh, maybe you didn't hear me. I, I, wanna, I want you to answer my prayer this way. God, I want you to act in my life in this manner. God, I want you to give me what I want. And all the while, God is saying, here's my word for you. Stephen, here's my desire for you. Take it. Hear me. In our culture, especially in our church cultures today, the truth is when we try to reinterpret or re-explain God's word according to popular opinion or thought, what we are seeing being done in our midst is an undermining of the authority of God's word being enough. When we try to make God's word say what we want, what we wish it would say, we're devaluing, we're moving God to the side, and we know how dangerous of a path that is. God's word is enough. What God says is what God says. What God commands of us. What God allows us to be on mission with Him. <laughs> Truly miraculous. So, how are we to live ready for the miraculous? How are we to live ready to observe God at work in the midst of our everyday lives? Let's live our lives on call for Him. Let's be at His ready. On call, saying, I'm all in. I'm ready, Lord. And to keep on keeping on. To saying, God, uh, maybe I didn't hear from you what your, your ask of me today is, but I'm ready again tomorrow. I'm ready. I'm ready, Lord. I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to keep my faith. I'm going to keep my head, my eyes on the prize. And I'm going to agree that God's word is enough. What God says I will do. I will believe. This morning we're going to end our time together by experiencing the miracle of communion. God's presence in our midst. This is a tradition continued by Christians around the world since Jesus first led his disciples in this experience, this practice. We recognize here at Hyde Wesleyan Church communion as a sacrament that reminds us of Jesus' death of our hope in his victory over death and his coming return. Communion and grace as a sign of the love we as Christians are to have for each other. And we know this is one of the ways God communicates grace to our hearts again this morning. Listen to the scripture. I'm going to ask our pastors to come forward. In Luke chapter 22, we have this experience of Jesus with his disciples. Verse 18, Jesus, Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice 
for you. So here, Hyde Wesleyan, would you stand with me? And allow me to say it this way to you from our tradition. You who are walking in fellowship with God and are in love and harmony with your neighbor. And you who sincerely repent of your sin and intend today again to lead a new life following the commands of God. Draw near with that miraculous faith offered you and receive this holy sacrament. Quick instructions and then I'll pray. As you feel led by the Spirit, come forward. We'll have two stations set up here. You're welcome to come to either side. Come down these two uh, aisles to my left and to my right. And as you come down, receive the elements and return to the outside, through the outside, and back to your seats in silence. And we'll close together in prayer again. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the miracle of your presence. We thank you for these elements, this wafer and this juice. Symbols, reminders today of your grace offered to us, available, free. We receive it with thanksgiving in our hearts. We ask that you would continue to transform us into the the image of our Savior. Thank you. We pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.